ladies and gentlemen, uh, this is going to be the OSINT Bunker podcast episode 3 of season 3. Uh, we're doing it via Twitch this evening, um, largely down to the fact that we had some issues with um, Twitter spaces, um, which involved having multiple devices active to be able to run the stream. Um, that obviously wasn't entirely feasible, so we're going to go with this and see how this works. Um, and hopefully if it works well, then we'll do the same again for next episode. Um, joining me this evening is uh, my co-host Kyle J. Glenn. Um, and we are joined as well this evening um, by our guest um, Callum from At OS Defence. And George Allison, the editor of the UK Defence Journal. Um, who should all pop up on the screen momentarily when the, there we go when the stream Hello. Yes, that's it. <laughs> um, so topics of discussion this evening we're, we're obviously going to go straight into the, the sort of the main topic that has been for the last month and a half now um, the war in Ukraine um, who wants to start us off with sort of some updates from the last two weeks about that uh, well, I suppose the, the big news from today is, again, the, the footage that the Ukrainian government released of the uh, the TB2 strikes on the two Russian patrol boats near Snake Island. Um, you know, pretty significant strikes from what the footage showed. I don't know if the ships were sunk or boats, I suppose. I've seen a lot of uh, Russians very angry on Twitter that people were referring to them as ships, and we should call them boats, because I guess that kind of downplays it a little bit. The boats, um, I don't know if they were sunk, but there was two very clear, um, you know, projectiles that hit them. Um, yeah, so it's, it's very clear that, you know, despite the Russian MOD insisting that, you know, Ukraine's uh, fleet of TB2s were destroyed in the first, what was it, two or three days of the war, they claimed, um, they're still very much active. Uh, not only in the Donbass region, you know, where they, they're targeting, um, you know, like land-based targets such as, you know, tanks and, and infantry movements. They're also, you know, very clearly over active over on the Black Sea, um, which, you know, I believe, uh, I can't remember how many were given to the Ukrainian Navy, but I remember, you know, uh, when the, the transfer did happen from Turkey to Ukraine, I do remember there's a definite split between, uh, you know, drones being given to the army and drones being given to the Navy, which I thought was interesting at the time. Um, but now, yeah, it's uh, obviously... I remember correctly, it was six to the Navy and another four by the end of this year for the Navy. But that was obviously pre-war. Yeah, no, and obviously that was just what was announced as well. I, I think there was a lot more kind of rushed in right uh in the, in the build-up to the invasion you know there was definitely a couple of um you know flights that came over from turkey in the in the 48 hours prior to the invasion and i believe there was still a couple there was a couple of aircraft stranded on the ground in kiev right um yeah i think two air 400 m atlases are still there hmm. yeah 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 they kind of they kind of landed in literally the hours prior to the invasion um and obviously you know didn't take off again so i'm not sure what was on board those but um yeah i, I think the total number of tb2s at the moment is probably higher than the official number yeah and obviously we've seen the pictures in recent days of the um 
the crashed one with the components that it has it's dated March 22. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously that's not pre-war. And also some of them had Ukrainian components as well, suggesting possibly um, possibly final assembly or something in Ukraine. Yeah, and also, you know, the photos of the wreckages, you know, it's already been proven that they, they're reusing, um, you know, they, they're trying to they're trying to pad the uh, amount that have been shot down, aren't they, Russia? I mean, they, there was obviously the couple that were shot down inside Russia um, within the last week or so, um, which I guess we can come on to a little bit later. That Ukraine's definitely getting bolder and, you know, carrying out more and more operations inside Russia. Um but I think confirmed maybe Ukraine have lost, I don't know, conservatively four, maybe five at the moment. I think, you know, that there's been photographs of, you know, the, the, the true number is probably higher than that. Um, but, you know, if, if we think maybe, you know, if operational prior to the war, maybe they had 10, maybe 15, um, you know, there's definitely, I reckon, you know, it definitely makes sense that there's a few more still flying around, still operational, and still, you know, as we've seen from this morning, still causing chaos for Russia. Obviously, um, as well, there was the claim of the being assisting with the sinking of the Moskva, the cruiser as well. Yes, yeah, I can't remember what the claim was. Was it like they used it to distract it or something like that? Is that yeah. was that what the yeah, claim I was? Think that's, that's what I remember. They used a TB2 to distract the cruiser and obviously then the Neptune missiles on their job. Yeah, yeah. Um, which, you know, it's, it seems ridiculous that, you know, the entire, that everyone on the, on the ship would have got distracted by that one TB2, but yeah. when you look at... Uh, you know, the rest of how Russia have been performing in this war so far, then it maybe it is. Ridiculous, yeah. No, no, ex- exactly. Because obviously the radar's got, I think it's 180 degree um, coverage, so I think they will have faced towards that, identifying that as a threat. And then obviously Not the Neptunes have come off from the side or behind or whatever. Yeah. Uh, yeah, okay, that makes a little bit more sense. That does make more sense. Um. Yeah, but the uh, the TB2s, they're, they're having a much bigger impact <clears throat> than I think anyone thought. I mean, even myself, they, you know, like, I've always been very impressed with how the, the TB2s have performed, whether that's in Syria or, or Libya, um, you know, where they've had, you know, um, which is where they were, well, the only real action they've had, and also where, um, you know, the war between Azerbaijan and Armenia in 2020, yeah. they saw a lot of action there. Um but this is like the first kind of conflict they've had when there's been a you know a near peer um, kind of conflict, um, and I think most people didn't expect them to do as well as they are doing. Um, you know, they they don't have a a huge range from like they you know they um, from where they can be controlled from. I believe it's only about two hundred and fifty three hundred kilometers. Um, Ground you know, stations they... as well, whereas like M <coughs> things off um it's got satellite um links. So obviously that eliminates it. Yeah, no, exactly. Um and yeah, they you know, they're not stealthy in any way, they they're slow, they they don't fly that high, they're not, you know, they Well, that that's why I said recently in an article, it's quite simply Turkish drones should not be making a meaningful impact. No <laughs> medium altitude, slow flying aircraft with a large radar cross section, but they are making a meaningful difference, and yeah. I think part of that is how the Ukrainians are using them. 
Ukrainian forces have been essentially flying in at low level, popping up and raiding with them, striking targets of opportunity. And I think that really does say a lot with regards to how Ukraine are fighting Russia. Ukraine mm -hmm. are fighting with 21st century technology and tactics against a 20th century opponent. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a great way of putting it. I, um, you know, I saw there was a, a photo taken from, I can't remember where it was, but it was a textbook. Um, and it was a textbook that was written in the 80s. And it was a, in, the, in it, there was like a, a photograph of like Russian um, towed artillery all in a line in the open in a field. And like the, the caption on this textbook said, oh, you know, this kind of Soviet tactic of just kind of lining up artillery in the open is now, you know, outdated. And then you look at the war in Ukraine and you see like these Russian artillery, you know, formations. And again, it's just towed artillery in a straight line in the middle, middle of a field. And it's just getting absolutely decimated by Ukrainian counter-battery fire or Ukrainian, you know, all the TB2s. And, you know, so they're only they're only getting to, like, fire off a couple of rounds each of these, like, Russian artillery positions. And then they're just getting devastated by, like, counter-battery fire or whatever. And it's just, it's unbelievable that they're still using these outdated tactics. Yeah, someone I think they've had, like, such limited uh... training opportunities. And it's just, obviously, they're using the same equipment as not being... Obviously, we've seen a lot about corruption. I don't think there's been much room for growth. And so I think they've kind of been stuck with it. And obviously, a lot of it's conscript as well. So it's getting taught the same stuff over and over. It's the quick stuff, as they only have however long in service before their conscription ends. Yeah, as, as, as you were saying, with that textbook, someone obviously didn't pass the memo to the uh, Russian generals. <laughs> yeah, and I, I mean, that's a... A great segue into speaking about the Russian generals, in which I can't remember what number has just been killed. Um, I was about to was ask, it num yeah, number yeah, ten. So there was a, there was a gathering of around forty Russian officers, wasn't there? Um, at what was it, Izium? I think, I think yes. Location, wasn't it? Yes. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And we're told that twenty of those officers were killed outright. Um, unknown number of others were injured. Um, one of the dead was uh, a general in charge of the Western Military District's uh, Electronic Warfare Divisions. Um, mm -hmm. Can't remember his name off the top of my head. Um, but the, the primary target, supposedly, was Chief of the General Staff, um, Gerasim, General Gerasimov. Was it? Yes. Yes. Um, yeah. So the the one that was killed it makes ten since the invasion. The tenth general that's been killed yeah. uh, in a war that hasn't been going on for three months yet, which is unbelievable. But yeah, it was uh, Gerasimov that was the the target from what they're claiming, and they're claiming he was wounded. There's mm. obviously no evidence to support that. Um, they, they, I don't believe well, Ukraine you know, themselves are claiming he was lightly wounded, yeah. so. You know, I've seen claims of some sort of shrapnel wound to the right leg. Um, exactly whether, as you say, whether that's true or not, we don't know at the moment. Um, if that is the extent of his injuries, it sounds like he's been very, very lucky given that hmm. whatever strike the Ukrainians used wiped out half of the people in the building. Um, yeah, and, and the footage I saw, it looked like it was like a, a grad barrage, which was, you know, directed towards a command center of some sort mm. um and it, you know for the video i'm thinking of the you know it was just kind of an open field there was a kind of cluster of buildings in like center screen 
And, you know, I remember, I can definitely remember seeing that, that kind of cluster of buildings taking five, six, seven kind of direct hits. So, you know, the vast majority were, you know, not direct, you know, kind of missing, but if there was a collection of officers in any of those buildings, yeah, it, it makes sense that kind of casualties would be significant from there. Um, uh, oh, someone's saying in chat that we're not at 10, we're at 7 to 8. I've definitely seen people say 10. I need to double check that. I've, I, I, I think it's more than 7 to 8, but I'm sure it's... We'll need to uh, verify that. Um, okay, well, we'll say at least 7. At least 7 um, to date, which is... You know, it's, almost it's one a week. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I think I remember seeing. I can't remember how many it was. Um, how many generals were killed through like, the entire war of Afghanistan for the Soviet Union? It definitely wasn't seven. I want to say maybe four or five um, from memory. Um, but yeah, it, it's just a the sheer the sheer scale of loss so far for russia it's just difficult to get your head around isn't it i mean it's it's been a while since we've seen any kind of uh major conflict for these kind of losses <clears throat> yeah i mean you, you look at syria which has obviously been going on for um a long time you know over a decade now over a decade um and i believe that you know death toll it's it, it's half a million over half a million which is, you know, and a huge amount of, of death. Um, but when, you know, when you start hearing the, you know, there's, I, I believe, I believe Ukraine are claiming that there's 20,000 Russian killed, um, which means it's probably a little bit less than that, but we can certainly say it's over 10,000. I believe that, you know, it's not a ridiculous claim to make that there's over 10,000 Russians killed uh, in this war so far. Um, you know, if we're being honest, the amount of Ukrainians killed is probably around the same hmm. um you know uh, civilians you know i, I can't I think i can't remember how many civilians have been killed off the top of my head but you know we i, I think you know realistically we're probably looking total looking around maybe twenty five thousand dead so far probably more um and you know um, they said today there's at least 4500 still missing that have been reported missing oh yeah yeah so yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd say yeah, twenty thousand, twenty-five thousand at least dead so far. Like on all sides, um, and you know that you know that, that's just in two months, ten weeks, say of of war. Yeah. You know, if if anything, you know, if it, if it carried on on that scale, just for a year, you know, just for a year, you know, that's going to be an absolutely devastating amount of of uh, you know the, the human cost will be absolutely devastating at that. One. Um, and say, yeah, we haven't seen anything like it. That it's important to say that it cannot continue for a year with those kinds of mm -hmm. losses because, I mean, the, U the US Defense Department's come out today and said, well, Russia's lost approximately one quarter of its military power in Ukraine as of today. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, the that works out about 15% of its total ground power is yeah. now, um, or not, what's it called? Um, Destroyed, captured, whatever. Yeah. Call uh, well, it um, combat ineffective. Yes. Yeah, I believe yeah. that is the I'm time. reading the intelligence update just now. The Ministry of Defence say that Russia committed over 120 battalion tactical groups, approximately 65% of its entire ground combat strength, 
And now a quarter, of, more than a quarter of these have now been rendered combat ineffective. Yeah. That is astonishing. Yeah. And with, with, with those kinds of losses and with the fact that it's fair to say that Russia is not exactly having its way at the moment, I think we're seeing them losing ground, is it fair to say, at the moment? Yeah. Especially around Kharkiv. Yeah, yeah, there's a significant Ukrainian counteroffensive going on there at the moment. Um, they, they and yeah, yeah, it's approaching a point where Putin is going to have to decide whether or not to continue. Because, um, at the, I mean, we've got obviously coming up this next week um, will be Russia's Victory Day parade on the ninth. And supposedly the reason General Gerasimov was in uh, the field in the first place was to secure a quick victory so that Putin would actually have something to celebrate come May the 9th. Um, <laughs> it's looking less and less likely that there's going to be much to celebrate on that day. Um, <laughs> I, I suspect he's going to have to make a decision fairly soon whether or not he is just going to let the entirety of his army be destroyed or whether he's going to sort of, at this point, say, no, okay, we're not getting anywhere here. Let's try and conserve, you know, our manpower, some of our troops. Let, let, let's pull back and, and do something different. Yeah, I think those are the rumours as well, that um, there might be some sort of big announcement on that um, on the 9th as well. Hmm. Um, but I don't think, the way it's going, I don't. they've already pulled back from Kiev. I don't think they're going to pull back completely. They want to at least get the Donbass, because otherwise... Hmm. He's gonna look really stupid, and well, he already does. But yeah, and he just—that would not be something he's gonna do. Yeah. Well, I was just like, so um, when me and Technical were recording the last episode, that's when the recent offensive in the Donbass started. It started, you know, towards the end of our recording. Um, so that was on the 18th, and I'm just looking on the uh, live UA map now to see what the kind of territory looked like around there around the Donbass and what it looks like now. So the 18th was 25th, exactly two weeks ago today. So in two weeks in the Donbass, Russia have advanced 12 kilometers south in two weeks, hmm. um, which is it's nothing, is it? You know, they, they've not, they, and you know, they've not captured anything of significance in those two weeks. Um, you know, even if you look at like the south of Mariupol, um, they they still haven't fully captured the state. You know, there's still um, again difficult to say how many exactly, but still a significant amount of fire uh, fighters in the uh, the steelworks, the Azovstal steelworks, um, which is you know completely surrounded. And you know, Putin himself has said, you know, it's not worth storming it because it's it's I think it's one of the first smart decisions Russia have made since this war started is not to try and storm that kind of that uh, that is it steelworks cement works I can't remember exactly what what his official purpose was um it was Soviet originally yes um they've had Ukrainian yeah, but... reports that they've re um, restarted the storming of it so don't know. oh okay well I might coming from Ukrainian yeah, I might need to take back my my comment that if they've made smart decisions with ALN, <laughs> if, that, if that is if that is the case. I mean, we are um, talking about an army that decides to start opening fire on a nuclear power station, so you know. Oh and God, I can see. and radioactive ground. Yeah, oh, I can, I forgot about both of those things. I completely <laughs> forgot it's, that it's, both of those things happened. 
there's been a lot of strange decisions. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, but I mean, just looking at it, like the Donbass again. They, okay, they've advanced twelve kilometers south, um, kind of towards Kramatorsk. Uh, they, there's been no movement in like the opposite direction. So, you know, I was kind of expecting them to obviously try and um, surround, you know, Kramatorsk, the big cities like Slavyansk, um, and kind of link up from his doom down to Holivka or Golivka. Um, Kind of trap, you know, the bulk of Ukrainian forces there in the Donbass, um, and for them to do that, I fully expect them not only to push from the north around Izium, but also to kind of push from the south, right? To kind of then link up in the middle. Um, I mean, that, again, I'm no strategist. I'm, I'm not in the military or any kind, but that just seems like you're doing half the work at that point if you're getting, you know, if you're pushing from two different directions. Um, and they, you know, they've definitely, you know, and and since they've bogged down. Um, Around Izium, I, I was definitely expecting them to at least try to start an offensive in another direction, to at least you know maybe try and draw some of the Ukrainian forces away. Um, <clears throat> and again, I suppose that might be a little bit difficult, like like uh, like was mentioned earlier, when you know Ukraine are currently conducting a semi, what well, I say semi, a rather successful counterattack around Kharkiv. Um, have pushed Russia back from the borders of the city. Um, there are claims that they've pushed east from Kharkiv all the way to the um, the river, and Russia have been pushed back across the river and blowing up bridges as they go, um, which would be you know a, a hugely significant victory if that is confirmed. Um, but again, you know that is that is unconfirmed at the moment. But yeah, I suppose yeah, with the the offensive stalling on Izium and then them now losing a significant amount of ground against Kharkiv, there's 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 not a lot for Russia to be happy with at the moment. And do you think that Russia can push back with, uh, the Sorry, John? Moldovan region of uh, Transitia, if I'm pronouncing that right? Still uh, very tense, but there's nothing. No real new developments in the last day or two. Obviously, there was the um, the attack, the couple of attacks. There was one on the um, was it security services headquarters or something? Yes, with um, the, uh, the weapons conveniently left behind in the street. Yeah, um, but there hasn't been anything in the last couple of days, as far as I'm aware. Yeah, obviously, there was, that is. Um, there, oh, there was cyber attacks on the Moldovan government. Yeah, and there was obviously the reports were. Um, Men again, as we kind of saw in the Donbass, that men between the ages of eighteen and fifty are banned from leaving, um, and also oh, yeah. there was a kind of general mobilization kind of suggested. I don't know if that was confirmed. Um, you got approved. Okay, um, and then they've you know we've definitely seen videos and photos of Transnistrian troops kind of on maneuvers doing exercises. Um, they look even worse equipped than the, uh, the separatists in, you know, in the Donbass and the Hansk region. Well, which they ignore was... the fact they had no magazines in their guns. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, again, I mean, just just to avoid any more unnecessary kind of like loss of human life, I really hope that they don't try and advance into Ukraine from there because it, it, it it's just going to be a massacre from, from, you know, what we're seeing at the moment. Um, obviously, Russia are, are bombing um, bombing bridges around Odessa, 
presumably to you know disrupt supply lines and stuff like that um you know you know there. russian forces in ukraine aren't anywhere near odessa at the moment to you know to make sense for them to be kind of pushing from you know the uh like Kherson, Kherson or anything like that so the only thing that did you know does seem to make sense is you know maybe they were going to push from transnistria um maybe we'll start seeing some more uh like warning signs as we get a little bit closer to may 9th which is obviously in a week from now um you know maybe they'll start moving stuff around and pass it off as you know preparations for a victory parade um that, that's just you know, one theory of mine um yeah but i don't think we're expecting anything imminent from transnistria i think it's something that i think will become into play eventually um but not right now um and the same with belarus i mean belarus completely fizzled out didn't it there was yeah. you know they were expected to get involved very early on um and then russia got booted back over the border and i think lukashenko again maybe one of the first intelligent decisions he's made has decided he wants no part of it um you know if russian troops again kicked back over the border then you yeah. know belarusian troops i don't think are going to fear any better um i do find it somewhat ironic that the man who effectively gave the world the most audible warning of what was coming in terms of oh there's going to be a, Rus a russian invasion of ukraine is mm -hmm. probably the first person <laughs> smart enough to have backed out of it <laughs> yeah I, again when he was kind of saying this stuff you know like back in um november december kind of the, yeah yeah. I mean, yeah even january i was still kind of like you know is he just trolling us because i can remember there was um the first and i remember i mentioned it a few times on twitter in like the group chats and stuff that um the like lukashenko he was talking about a uh what's the word i'm thinking of uh referendum yes they were going to have a referendum in Belarus about whether he could stay in power or and, and stuff like that. Um, and I remember, like, there was, like, a really throwaway comment in which he said, like, oh, yeah, we'll have the referendum in February unless the war starts. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, what do you mean, unless the war starts in February? Like, why, like, why are you asking? Like, and I was thinking, no. It, I was like, he can't have, like, just given it away, like, so, so simply like that. And then Did there you was not give oh, away a, a plan on TV, if I recall. Oh, that. the map, yeah, the map showing they're going to try and invade from. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's it's fair to say that the entire Russian invasion has been dogged by people making slip ups. Um, yeah, love understatement. <laughs> um, yeah, it's 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 been an. I, I I don't think there's ever been a campaign fought with such a just a complete lack of apparent organization to it um i mean we've we've, we've joked so many times about um russian generals going to putin with their plans and him just sitting there looking at them like they've lost their marbles um mm -hmm. i mean, from I mean the entire invasion gone I was just going to say that the entire invasion reminds me of the first time I played the game Civilization. <laughs> and how poorly it died. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 yeah, it's just been like watching a group of people play the game Risk, having never read mm -hmm. the rules, never played the game before, and having no idea what the objectives actually are. 
Um, Have you been spying on me? Yeah, <laughs> 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 um, yeah it's it's absolutely insane. Again, I've just got the um, yeah, like the live UA map up now, which again I've constantly got. It's such a great resource. Um, and yeah, it's just the map hasn't changed for weeks, really, in any. Well, it's definitely not in anything that's going to favor Russia. Um, and it's just unbelievable. Like, I, again, I, I still can't believe that we're, you know, 10 weeks, well, nine weeks, really, into this invasion. And it, it's still going on. Again, I, I don't think anyone would have predicted that. Um, I remember before the war, I actually predicted that Ukraine would lose. And I predicted they'd lose very quickly. I, oh, same, yeah. <laughs> same. I, again, I'll, I'll hold my hands up to that. I, I, again, I, I was adamant the invasion was going to happen. Um, I didn't think they were going to go for Kiev. And that was the one thing I didn't think they were going to go for. I thought they were going to stick to the Donbass. Yeah, same. Move into the Donbass yeah, in like same. huge numbers, very quickly sweep through the rest of the Donbass, and then end at the borders of the Donbass and be happy with that. Yeah. And honestly, at Hostomel, though, that's when I thought they were going to lose. I was yeah. like, it's all over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think if they just went for the Donbass, they would have won very quickly, and again, you will never know. But if they, yeah, if they taken the troops they had and just pushed into the Donbass, I think this would have been over by now. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, yeah. Ukraine would have sued for peace, and they would have been happy with that. Um, yeah, but just uh, again, just thinking back to the early days of the war, you know, landing a hostel, the the National Guard trucks just rushing into Kiev on their own, and it's. It, it blows my mind when I think back and just the insane stuff that's happened. Um, again, there have been a lot of crazy predictions though in the last few days. One I read said that they believe Ukraine may retake Crimea. Now, I, I that's a bit yeah. far. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I think the one lesson we've learned from this conflict is that we should really not underestimate the Ukrainians. Yeah, um, mm -hmm. I think True, for yeah. me, I, I was certain the invasion was going to happen. I think, like you, George, I was not expecting Ukraine to last very long, given how much equipment and how many troops Russia had amassed. Mm -hmm. um, I think we've been left a little bit stunned, as have the Russians, needless to say, about how well Ukraine has done. Um, oh, absolutely. And uh, I mean, far be it from me to say that they won't be able to retake Crimea. At this point, as far as I'm concerned, nothing is off the table. Um, I don't yeah. think it's something that's going to happen overnight. I think we're probably going to be waiting months, if not maybe a year. Years. Something like that, if it yeah. happens. Um, I think before the war, a lot of us weren't expecting the sheer volume of equipment that Ukraine now has. I read, I can't remember the exact number, but I read an interesting uh, bit of information recently that the average Ukrainian soldier, in terms of, you know, anti-tank missiles, that kind of thing, is more heavily armed than any soldier anywhere else in the world. And I found that fascinating. That's I crazy. The predictions from before the war really did, you know, no one took, in, myself included, no one took into account how quickly they would be rearmed. It's, again, it blows my mind. <laughs> Mm. Yeah, and I was, again, I saw people um, a week or so ago kind of predicting that, you know, Ukraine could kind of counter into the Donbass. Um, and I, I, again, I was very firmly against it. I was like, I, I don't think there's a chance of it. Um, 
but then I did see was it um, Liz Truss and the other guy whose name is oh, forgetting his name. This is um, <laughs> forgetting that as well. I'm forgetting <laughs> that as well. Very senior. I think he's. I think he might be very senior in like the British army, maybe. Um. But maybe more on like the kind of government side of things. I, I don't know. I, I honestly, I'm gonna have to look that up because well, that's gonna be embarrassing for me. No, it wasn't a defense minister. Um, <laughs> anyway, anyway, I'm getting I'm getting sidetracked. But they they did say um, that they were gonna support Ukraine until Russia was um, repelled from all areas of of uh, Ukraine. That includes Donbass and Crimea. So you know the UK have openly said that they're going to support ukraine until that happens yeah um and the and i believe this trust said she you know the, the, it doesn't matter if that's you know days months or years you know they, they're happy to do that yeah, up I until like a decade i believe yeah James so the, yes i think that's it yeah 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 who is he just before it's just in case i forget he's the again armed forces minister ah that's him that's him um, yeah, so yeah, so they both said that um, yeah, they're gonna you know the UK is fully willing to support Ukraine to you know regain all of their territorial integrity, mm. um, and I think that just shows you know, the, the the attitude I guess in the West. But in the build up to the invasion, obviously we saw a lot of support from the UK, we saw a lot of support from the US, um, we saw a lot of support from the Baltic states um, and like Poland, unsurprisingly. Um, because you know Russia's on their borders, yeah. um, but then you know when the invasion started and Russia started doing not well to put you know to put it mildly, um, that's when support started to really ramp up, and I think that's when a lot of the other NATO members, um, and not just many NATO members, a lot of other you know like countries uh, have, have now rightly or wrongly are now seeing this war as an opportunity to hurt russia um and maybe prevent this kind of war from happening again i mean you know the way this thing's going like russia is not going to have the ability to, to conduct an offensive war for years yeah. decades even the way things are going you know for them to be able to like you know if the war ended today it will take them a huge amount of time to replenish not only their stocks but just the amount of like the manpower they've lost. Yeah, the British um, MOD said today about it will take years and years, especially with the VDV and other elite forces, to replace them because they've taken the most losses. Yeah, yeah. I I, I tried to think how you know what the casualty rate amongst the VDV is. Um, I mean, especially you know, there was a significant number that landed in Hostomel, um, and they were all killed, from my understanding, killed or captured at least. Um, and it's yeah it's again i'm just thinking it's just insane the way the whole thing happened it's, it's just crazy i think a large part of why we saw a slow reaction from most of nato was we've got to bear in mind we're, we're less than a year from the whole afghan debacle and mm -hmm. i think a lot of nato nations were probably looking at what happened there and thinking Let's not go pouring lots of military equipment into a country that might well get overrun because we don't want all our kit falling into the wrong hands. Yeah. And then That's a good point, actually. Yeah. And suddenly was actually managing to hold the Russians back and is now obviously counterattacking in the way that it is. Suddenly, NATO members were like, oh, hang on a second. Maybe we can actually take that risk of supplying our kit because. 
it looks like the Ukrainians aren't going to lose this. Yeah, and I think what's happening in Ukraine as well is that it effectively validates NATO training. What I mean by that is, I'm, I'm sure you guys are aware that Ukrainian officers have been trained by NATO countries, I think, mm. for the last two decades, not even just since 2014. I think it's eight countries. I could be wrong, probably I'm wrong, um, but I think eight countries have provided hands-on training with Ukrainian instructors who have then provided training to their troops and... I think it's turned NATO from, sorry, not NATO, it's turned Ukraine from a country with a sort of rigid Soviet-style command system to one that more mirrors Western command systems, encouraging soldiers mm -hmm. to think on the move, as yeah. it were. And I, I, this is what I said earlier, 21st century tactics against 20th century tactics, and it's really showing how poorly equipped the modern Russian army is, not in terms of, obviously, it's a... a, a, a not in terms of equipment, but in terms of training. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah, train, training and leadership are probably the biggest causes of the Russian losses so far. Because they mm -hmm. have a plan and they stick to it rigidly and they don't yeah. accept that the situation on the ground is changing far quicker than their plans. Mm -hmm. Oh, sorry, I can just cut in to what I was mentioning earlier about the uh, offensive around Kharkiv. Uh, the U.S. defense, a U.S. defense official, has just confirmed that Ukraine have pushed Russia around forty kilometers back from Kharkiv, um, and that would support well the claims we were earlier about them being pushed back across the river to the east, which is insane. Mm. Um, I did just saw uh, oh technical posting on Twitter a little while back. Um, a popular Russian Telegram channel has said. The quote, we are fucked up in the Kharkiv direction. <laughs> so <laughs> it seems that uh, things aren't going so well for Russia in the north, um, which is, again, and <laughs> I, I never would have predicted again that, you know, nine, ten weeks into this war that Ukraine would be conducting successful counterattacks mm. um, and, and still regaining territory. Um, and again, I'm hesitant to make any more predictions until the end of this war. Closest point, Kharkiv's uh, 35 kilometers from the um, Russian border, so that's quite a, that's quite significant. Yeah, I think the, um, yeah, I think the Ukrainian counteroffensive is pushing west to east instead of towards the north. Um, yeah, so if, they, if, I don't know if you've got a map open at the moment, uh, it's kind of pushing towards, I'm going to butcher the pronunciation it's starry saltive um yeah is the town that they claim to have captured um and it's the last kind of town along the highway towards the east um yeah a few hours ago i did see some claims that russia had <clears throat> retreated across that bridge and blown it up as they went so it seems there is some kind of real panic in the russian uh, ranks uh, on the kharkiv front um and if they have kind of cleared them as far as the river, again, you know, there was the risk, should we say, of um, you know, some Ukrainian troops being encircled to the southwest of Kharkiv. Um, and, you know, it, it seems, you know, if these claims are true, which the US seem to think they are, um, that, that's, you know, that threat's completely gone at the moment. So that's going to, you know, release a lot more troops um, for Ukraine where they can now move to other fronts. Um, but yeah, it's crazy absolutely crazy everything that's happening at the moment and it's, it's worth adding as well that it's not just 
sort of the military objectives in Ukraine that Russia is seemingly losing. Um, one of their sort of primarily stated objectives of this whole special military operation was to ensure that NATO would not expand further. And I, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm going to, at this point, we're, we're going to bring up Finland, um, who have yes. a number of significant announcements in the last two weeks, especially sort of in the last 24 hours. Um, there was one of the larger Finnish parliamentary uh, parties the other day voted 61 to 3 in favour of joining NATO. Um, mm -hmm. I believe we've, we've had a, 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 an alert today to say that um, where is it? That they are going to formally request um, NATO membership um, on the 12th of May. Um, yes, so it's a week Thursday. A short while ago, as a sort of another indication of Finland's intent, um, they terminated a contract with Russia's Rosatom um, agency to uh, construct a third nuclear power plant. Um, a, a deal worth almost eight billion US dollars, um, and they've scrapped that plan um, because th they are very much looking at what's gone on in Ukraine and thinking, yeah, you know what, we'd rather be part of NATO. Thanks. I read a joke on Twitter. I think it was yesterday, a couple of days ago, that Putin is actually a Western agent with the sole. <laughs> <laughs> That's all he really has achieved so far, hasn't he? He's increased he's, he's the resolve of NATO, and he's yeah. Yeah, he has literally achieved the opposite of all of his aims. He was hoping to overrun Kiev and, you know, destroy the the state of Ukraine. Um, at the moment, he seems to inadvertently be destroying the state of Russia. Um, he mm -hmm. wants to prevent yeah. NATO expansion. We're now looking at. Finland and a few other non-NATO European states turning around to NATO and saying, um, yeah, how about adding us as members? Um, Even here in Scotland, a lot of people I know who were against NATO, as I'm, I'm sure you guys know, there's quite a large nationalist movement against NATO, whereas a lot of nationalists for NATO, it's just there's always been a very vocal minority who are against it. And mm. my personal experience is that has now decreased even further. People I know who were anti-NATO, adamantly anti-NATO, are now saying things like, well, maybe it would be a good idea. Yeah. And I, I know from my perspective, um, mm -hmm. sort of London way, um, before hostilities broke out, we were seeing a lot of sort of anti-war and anti-NATO protests by people who frankly weren't all that wed up, well read up on what was really going yeah. on and within a week of the conflict beginning those people just vanished into thin air um I, I i don't think i've seen anyone in the last probably four or five weeks saying that nato is a bad thing at this point um other than the russians other than, <laughs> yes, exactly, other than the Russians who um... are doing their best to enhance NATO. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think it's because. It, go on. I, I was going to say it's it's um it's one of those rare occasions when it you know the war is almost a little bit black and white as into who the good guy is and who the bad guy is, isn't it? Yeah. it we don't often get wars like that. You know, again, especially look at like Syria, Libya. Um, Iraq, everything's very, very different shades of grey. Yeah. Um, but you know, when you have um, 
Russia, you know, conducting an you know a war of aggression against their neighbor for no other reason other than territorial expansion or um, I can't think of any other reasons. They've, they, I mean, they've claimed to be get rid of Nazis, but again, we can just ignore that as as utter rubbish. Um, especially when you see the kind of troops that Russia are using, especially the. Um, you know, like the Wagner uh, mercenaries and just, you know, some of the soldiers, some of the regular troops covered in Nazi tattoos. Yeah. It's um, pretty ironic. Um, yeah, it, it's... It, it, with the exception of, like, a, <clears throat> a small minority of tankies, I guess is the only way to describe them in the West, I feel like most of the West is kind of united in, in supporting Ukraine. Um, you know, like, I'm trying to think of... How can we out more, more support yeah, I'm just trying to think of like the last kind of war in which it was kind of cut and dry. Um, I mean, the Falklands, obviously, Falklands, just a, yeah. yeah, which again is even, even appropriate. Falklands wasn't necessarily that cut and dry. Um, That's true. Ask the Belgrano. <laughs> oh no, yeah. But, I mean, like the uh, we, we are the war itself. The, uh, yeah, we are mentioning the Falklands War on on the 40th anniversary of said conflict. Yeah, um, mm -hmm. we'll we'll probably touch a little bit briefly on that in a little while, but um. I think as well, one of the things that I've found most, I want to say amusing, but that's probably not the best word for it, has been no. as Russia has realised that it is losing, they've gotten very, very good at making threats around use of nuclear weapons. Um, I think yeah. the oh, they threatened been... England yesterday. Yes, I think. No, 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 not been... the UK, just England. <laughs> which I found very strange. I saw your tweet earlier, George. I, I, yeah. think, I think it was intended to mean the whole of the UK. Of course it was, but I mean, it's always good to talk about fun at the Russians. <laughs> yeah, and and we, we've seen particularly the last sort of twenty four forty eight hours, um, Russia really ramping up the threats about, oh, we'll we'll nuke the UK. Um, and I think that ties into, as you said earlier, the fact that Liz Truss and other senior UK government officials have come out and said, no, we're going to support Ukraine with equipment for as long as it takes them to push Russia back out. Um, yeah. I, I, I think it's fair to say Russia's not taken to that idea very kindly. Um, no. Obviously, the threats they've made... Putin's been making the threats for weeks. Um, there was a yeah. meme floating around um, where it was... Um, I, I don't know what cartoon it was, but it was Putin. This is the seventh week in a row that you've shown <laughs> threats of nuclear attack in, in class or something. Um, yeah, it's just tiring, isn't it? At this it, point, it I mean, tiring, again, I, I didn't obviously. I'm I'm too young to remember obviously the Cold War. Um, I think we all are. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah, I mean, again, you think of like you know when it's just constant threat of nuclear war. Um, and, I, and I suppose it's a lot more plausible, you know, in like the 60s and 70s for sure than it is today. Because I don't think anyone genuinely believes that Russia are going to fire a first strike, a nuclear yeah. weapon at anywhere in the West as a result of what's happening in Ukraine. Yeah, could be the end you know, of Russia. Well, ex exactly. And then I, I, don't, I don't think anyone believes it for a second. But, mm -hmm. as I've said, let's not leave anything off the table because... Putin's behaviour has been less than predictable. I'm not suggesting for a moment that, you know, we're going to see this happen in the next 20 years. I, I certainly hope it doesn't. But 
Mm-hmm. Realistically, we are talking about a nation that is armed with nuclear weapons. It is probably armed with some of the more capable um, nuclear missiles in the world. Um, well, that, that we know of. <laughs> we we thought the air defence was capable. Well, it, yeah, this is this is it. So, um, I'm 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 inevitably waiting for the the accidental launch or something. Um, hopefully, it doesn't happen, but. I don't mm-hmm. think we can really say for certain that it won't, um, particularly after some of our learned colleagues in the OSINT community were so adamant that, say, a, a, a Russian invasion would not occur. Um, yeah. Yeah. I yeah mean, obviously, the, the threats aren't being taken seriously. I think it's fairly obvious to see that from the fact that UK sort of media are talking very little about the threats um, and sort of discussing a great deal more what's actually going on on the ground in Ukraine. Um, and at the end of the day, we, as, as George alluded to, and as he mentioned in an article today uh, on the UK Defence Journal, we've had the continuous at sea deterrent for 50 years, and it is for exactly <laughs> this kind of situation where Russia is making those kinds of threats that that deterrent exists. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, and again, I saw earlier the you know Russian state TV again threatening the UK, saying you know only one of their new missiles will be needed to you know destroy the entire country and stuff like that. And again, it's just I I just looked at it. and I was just bored. I was like I was like it's it's tiring. You know, no one's obviously it's probably it's more of a domestic consumption. The case to join NATO. <laughs> <laughs> as as much as this Poseidon weapon is. An incredible feat of engineering and a very potent weapon. I, I I could not help but laugh at the concept of the Russians detonating it at sea to cause a tsunami that would wipe out the UK. That 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 being their plan for that weapon. Struck Is that what they said? Was that a that, genuine? That, that was their genuine. That, that was the graphic they used on Russian state oh, television. Oh, good god. Um, Everyone was completely I, obliterated for some reason. <laughs> I, I burst out laughing at that because the original plan with that weapon was, oh, we'll sail it into a port, like a naval base, or mm. up a river into the centre of a city and then detonate it. And that kind of makes <laughs> sense with the idea of the weapon. But to just detonate it at sea for the sole purpose of creating a tsunami... I mean, I know yeah, the UK it's... is largely flat shall we say compared to some of our nato allies but if you're going to destroy I'm not the Netherlands. Area, I, I wouldn't suggest <laughs> a tsunami um yeah i think the Netherlands will be at risk but not yeah. maybe <laughs> yeah but it's um it's just it's crazy it's mm. absolutely crazy um yeah. I mean, I was going back to the Falklands. I mean, it, it wasn't Russia talking about now starting to support. Oh no, it was China. Sorry, I'm getting off track. Yeah. It was China that was said they would might support. You know, Argentina's claims to the Falklands. Um, but we can come back to that. I got off track. I thought it was Russia. <laughs> oh, no, I mean we, we we can move on to um, 40, 40th anniversary of the Falklands now if we want. Um, Before we move, yeah. just something to add. Um, so we just had it in again. There's been some deaths and injuries with another Russian missile strike on infrastructure in Odessa. Um, oh, no. And also earlier today, 
there was a third strike on the um, bridge that's the only Ukrainian access to the across the uh, Dniester estuary, which basically splits um, the um, Odessa region in half, pretty much. So the bottom 40%, the only access is either a road through Moldova or across this bridge. So in the last week, Russia struck it with three missiles. Um, the third one hit again today, obviously trying to... I, it's unlikely of an amphibious assault, but it's just they're trying to cut off access to there for some reason. Is that the um the bri- I don't know again because I, I, I got the map open at the moment. Is that the bridge next to is it Zatoka? Um, uh, I believe so. Yeah, it's the one south of Odessa. Yeah, yeah, quite a bit. Well, it's like, yeah, it's like a nearly a three hundred meter long bridge, decently sized. Yeah, um, only Ukrainian access as well to that southern bit of territory. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, I did see. Uh, so yeah, there was the um, the strikes on the bridge again a little while ago, wasn't it? And that was coupled with tensions in Transnistria. Um, yeah, so it does. It does seem like Russia still have some plans. Most oh, certainly, there's... yeah, they're a bit yeah. too incompetent to execute them. Yeah, I've been I've been trying to get satellite imagery of that bridge for the last couple of days as well since it was struck for the first time, but they... the weather hates me. So hopefully, in the next couple of days, I can get something. Also, um, there's now 600 Russian tanks visually confirmed to have been lost, just now, <laughs> from Oryx. Yeah, that's that. So yeah, How many that's... tanks does the UK have to again? It's not. It's like 200, <laughs> is it? Um, yeah, if that. <laughs> 250, I think, or 225 or something. Yeah, so we're dropping, just... dropping to 140. 48, I want to say. I don't know if that's... It's, it's around that figure, I'm, I'm pretty sure. They're, they're upgrading to challenge. Yeah, that number does ring a bell for some reason, 148. Javelin and Enlor, and are we happy? <laughs> <laughs> oh. But yeah, so um, Falkland's 40th anniversary. Um, it, it's fair to say that sort of with everything going on in Ukraine... Um, we have been somewhat distracted from um, events in the Southern Hemisphere. Um, Argentina have obviously made a number of statements, as they do every year, um, saying that you know the the, the the Falklands dispute is not over, and that someday they will, you know, retake what they believe to be theirs. Um, I'd be more concerned if they stopped making those statements, to be quite <laughs> I, I, Yes, I, I think at this point it would be more alarming if they just turned around and said, no, you know what, we give up. Because yeah. to me that would be like, okay, what are they planning? It's kind of the opposite to Russia and, and, and Belarus talking non-stop about, oh, special military operation, and then it happening. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, um, Argentina. It does have some. Uh, I was going to say it. It does have some uh, parallels as well, doesn't it? Especially mm. with you know, Russia losing the flagship. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> I think it's. I, I may be wrong with this. Um, please correct me if I am. But the last cruiser to have been sunk prior to the Moskva would have been. Yeah the general belgrano in 1982 wouldn't it yes um so i i I would i would hope argentina is obviously watching what's gone on in ukraine and thinking hmm 
Yeah, maybe not. <laughs> but as, as as you mentioned earlier, Kyle, um, China have come out in recent months in, in sort of vocal support for Argentina. Um, whether that vocal support actually turns into anything, you know, material or, or, or physical, um, I, I very much doubt at this stage. Um, there's certainly no indications that China is looking to start a conflict that far away from home. Um, they're obviously still very much focused on their own doorstep, Taiwan, um, and sort of surroundings. Um, yeah, there was a big, there was a big meeting between um, high-level UK and US officials about that yesterday about um, giant, the threat from China to Taiwan. Yeah, and I think it's it, it's obviously the threat has by it has by no means deteriorated. Um, the threat is still very much there, and China is still, in my opinion, very much capable of. An invasion of Taiwan. Um, obviously, the longer they wait, the more equipment they will have available, the more landing ships and so on they'll have, have built. And laws, and they'll be fine. Um, yeah, but I, I would imagine that there are probably elements of the Chinese government at this point who are looking at what's going on in Russia and Ukraine and thinking, okay, let's not make the mistake Russia has made of underestimating our opponent. Um, mm hmm. Because as much as Taiwan is a very, very small geographical area and a very small population by comparison to the People's Republic. Um, not, the, not the People's Republic? What am I on about? Is that the correct name? People's Republic? The People's Republic of China, yeah. It is. Okay. I always get, I always get the, them confused with um, fucking North Korea, isn't it? Um, yeah, I'd, I'd, while the population difference is obviously massive, I think what Russia has very much shown the world is, yeah, peer-on-peer -peer wars are not going to be quite so much of a walkover as, say, the war on terror. Although, admittedly, with everything mm -hmm. that went on in Afghanistan last year, I don't think the world can really say that the war on terror was much of a walkover either. Um, no, terror definitely won the war terribly, I think. Yeah, yeah, unfortunately. And as, as we've alluded to before, I, I suspect that in the coming years that is going to come back to bite NATO and the rest of the world um, quite hard. Certainly, um, um, yeah. But yeah, it, it, China is obviously still massing forces. Um, their ability to construct military equipment, um, warships, aircraft and so on is at best alarming. Um, mm -hmm. and I, I, I think it's, I mean, the fact that they've had a meeting between US and, and UK officials yesterday is a very good sign that at the very least we haven't forgotten that threat um, with everything that's going on in Europe um, I very much doubt China's going to act especially now um, I think <coughs> we're probably looking years down the line now before anything happens they still need time to build up a much bigger capability. Yeah, partly because of that whole capability thing that they will need to enhance, and partly because they will be very closely watching Ukraine and sort of hopefully, well, I say hopefully, hopefully Taiwan will be learning lessons, hopefully China will not be learning lessons, um, mm -hmm. and will we see a similar state of affairs between China and Taiwan in the years to come? I would say hey. it's probably likely. Um, and also, we've heard with how much like intel has been poured in by the US, and I think that was something we could, if the in the 
in the event of um, a Taiwan scenario, that's something we could see with Taiwan as well. Obviously, that's been very effective in Ukraine. Yeah. And we could see that repeated. And so that's something, obviously, they've got probably some of the best intel. They've got how many satellites, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. And they've got, obviously, aircraft be a bit more of an issue over Taiwan, South China Sea, et cetera. But obviously, it's obviously been very effective with like the global hawks over the Black Sea and everything over Poland and everything. Yeah. That's been allowing them, like, they've had real time, they've even been going down to giving, them, giving the Ukrainians coordinates and then they've just been targeting that. That's how, like, how real time and, and um, accurate the intelligence has been. Hmm. And I suspect that's been the case with some of the generals that have died as well. Yeah, and of course, China-Taiwan is, is not the only other sort of area to watch in the world at the moment um i know kyle you've, you've mentioned to me earlier about iraq um mm -hmm. and i know that sort of israel and iran have been sort of popping up from time to time in the last few weeks in the news um i think today there was a, a rather major announcement from the the office of the prime minister of israel um, yeah. to say um that they have uh, foiled three assassination attempts by the Iran Revolutionary Guard Corps. Um, a journalist in France and a diplomat in Turkey. Yes. Wasn't there one in Germany as well? Yeah, a US general in Germany was supposedly going to be one of the three targets. Ordered um, by um, senior leadership of the regime and executed by the IRGC. Yeah. That's um, by the Israeli Prime Minister. Which, which is obviously a fairly major story um, and one that's not really getting much attention in the media at the moment um, certainly in Europe with everything that's going on but that that is a fairly significant story that the very idea that Iran is looking at assassinating sort of I mean I, I don't quite understand the French journalist one that that kind of puzzled me a little bit I don't know which French journalist it is it might be someone that has um, thoroughly angered the Iranian regime but the or it might just be a matter of, look what we can do. Yeah, the Israeli mm -hmm. diplomat in Turkey, that does make a lot of sense with everything that's been going on between Israel and Iran recently. Um, and and also, Israel and Turkey are coming a lot closer together yeah. recently. Obviously, there's been a lot of agreements between them and everything. And obviously, the, the idea of an assassination of a US general um, is something that Iran is still very keen on with the fact that they never really were able to retaliate for the assassination of General Soleimani um, a few years ago now. Um, like, wow, that has actually been a few years, hasn't it? Um, when was that? What year was January that? January 2020. January 2020. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, a long time ago. And Simon, I, I, yeah. I, I don't know if you want to tell us, uh, Kyle, a little bit about what's going on in Iraq. Um, uh, yeah, so obviously there's the um, the new Turkish operation against the PKK in northern Iraq in the uh, the Kurdistan regional government. Um, there, there's been quite heavy fighting from what I've seen. Um, I don't have any kind of casualty figures to hand, but you know there, there's significant fighting going on in in the kind of mountains in the north of the country. Um, Turkey, I mean, over the last couple of years, have been building a huge number of just military bases inside Iraq. Um, and, you know, for all intents and purposes, have just annexed a decent chunk of the north of the country. It's just, you know, 
entirely Turkish military bases in some areas of, of northern Iraq at the moment. Um, and obviously a lot of people are unhappy about it. It's not only the um, the PKK and other kind of Kurdish groups in, in northern Iraq, um, also the Iranian militias have been very unhappy about this. Um, so it, it's it's difficult at times when, you know, there are kind of reports coming through of a Turkish military base being attacked to know who is behind it. You know, it's I you know, it, it is at the moment a kind of a split between uh, PKK and and their allies and also um you know the kind of uh, Iranian militias um have also been getting involved quite heavily in in attacking the bases and for the most part a lot of the Iranian attacks have been some of the larger attacks and have also sometimes caused some of the more you know casualties um so yeah it's things are definitely um heating up in in northern Iraq um and also uh, although there hasn't been as many recently <clears throat> kind of attacks on like US facilities um on the, you know in, in a kind of border region between Iraq and Syria there were rumors last night of um airstrikes against Iranian positions which as far as I can tell didn't actually happen um but it seems like they're on edge there at the moment as well. Uh, you know, the US haven't been responding um, to every attack as they did. You know, in the build-up to the assassination of Soleimani, um, you know, it, it was very much tit-for-tat constantly um, until then. Obviously, there was a storming of the Green Zone, um, which I, I, I can't remember if that was the actual event, which led to the execution or the assassination of Soleimani or if it was another event um but yeah but for a little while you know the US were responding tit for tat to every time they got hit by rockets it seems at the moment they could have shown a little bit more restraint um perhaps hoping that the militias can get bored if they're not getting a fight out of it um but yeah it, it seems that yeah Iraq while it's not kind of hugely active right now especially you know in regards to like the the um the us and iran or israel and iran um you know israel are a little lot more active in in syria uh there was um airstrikes on damascus i believe last week that killed six syrian soldiers um which is i believe the largest death toll from an israeli airstrike for a little while um, of course, there was no retaliation from Syria or Iran into Israel because the last time that happened, the, Israel's response was devastating. I don't know if you guys remember that, but it was just hours and hours of just huge airstrikes, um, artillery fire, which I believe wiped out. I can't remember what they said, but they said they, they think they said it was like 50% of um, Iran's equipment that they had in Syria at the time. Um, just a absolutely huge response. So I think Iran is doing everything they can not to poke Israel unless it's beneficial for them. Um, but I said, you know, like Israel has is, is taken a little bit of a, sorry, Iran um, has kind of slipped out of you know, the public's eye a little bit recently for obvious reasons. Um, but, you know, the the issues, you know, the, the nuclear deal, et cetera, et cetera, they, they still, they, they haven't gone away. So I think we'll start to see those kind of creeping back into the limelight 
again in the next few months for sure. Do you know what like the delays been with that? Because I know we were there was rumours that the, the deal was very close to being signed. The mm-hmm. um, new deal like being re-signed like maybe a couple of weeks ago, but then it just disappeared. Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. Yeah, there was definitely yeah reports that the deal was very close, and then nothing, just very quickly. Just kind of ended. I think one of the best people to follow in regards to the whole Iran nuclear deal uh, situation at the minute is um, Jason Brodsky. Um, I'll put the the link to his account in um, in the video description when this goes up on on uh, sometime later this week. But um, he is very very good, very focused on sort of the story around the Iran nuclear deals. Um, he's come out with a lot of very very good analysis in recent times. Um, so he's well worth a follow if if that sort of topic is something that interests you. I don't. Know, I I actually don't know if I've uh, come across this work before, but I'll definitely be checking that out myself. Even if no one else does, I'll definitely be <laughs> checking that out. Yeah. And I think with that, we've covered sort of all the topics that we were looking to um, discuss this evening. Um, so before this episode draws on too long. Um, I'd like to thank George and Callum for joining us this evening as guests. Um, guys, it's been great to have you on uh, and to have your input. Thank you for having me. Um, and um, hopefully this episode will be going live, as I say, sometime later this week. Um, we are recording this on uh, the bank holiday Monday, 2nd of May. Um, so hopefully we'll get that up sort of middle to uh, towards the end of the week. Um but yeah, uh, thank you all very much for watching and thank you very much to our listeners who've tuned in this evening on twitch.tv. Thank you very much for tuning in. Um, it looks like this has worked well, so we will probably do um, the next episode on twitch.tv as well. Um, and with that, we will bid you good night. Good night.